Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Brian Roning, Executive Vice President of Federated Hermes, and welcome to Federated Hermes' quarterly liquidity webcast. We, like you, are still digesting the Federal Reserve's announcement of a 50 basis point rate hike in the Fed Fund's target rate and plans for reducing its massive balance sheet. This is one of the most aggressive Fed stances in recent history. Its focus on curbing inflation is extraordinary. High inflation is harmful to producers and consumers alike, but the response by policymakers is critically important to the liquidity markets. After two years at the bottom of the ocean, money market funds and similar investment vehicles have surfaced once again to provide attractive returns. As was the case in the last rising interest rates, we are thrilled to see this important asset class once again reveal its relevance, particularly amongst this year's volatility within the equity and fixed income markets. In a moment, Debbie Cunningham, just named one of the 100 most influential women in US finance by Barron's Magazine, will outline how we anticipate the relevant yield curves will respond to the Fed's plans. She'll be joined by Steve Chevron to discuss several other topics, including our house views on inflation amid supply chain issues, the red hot labor market, and other macroeconomic trends. We appreciate you tuning in and thank you for your continued confidence in our ability to provide clients with solutions along the liquidity continuum. What, what do you think? Reactions? Thanks, Brian. And thanks to everyone for joining us here this afternoon. Um, well, first of all, what I think is that some of the quotes and some of the discussion topics that have been in the press over the course of the last several weeks to a month in consideration of whatever the Fed's interest rate path might be are not necessarily as valid as FedSpeak itself. FedSpeak continues to be the most important item that we can watch. And I might emphasize that it's really Chair Powell speak that reigns supreme in this particular market from an expectation standpoint. So the FOMC, as you mentioned, did meet yesterday and today, their regularly scheduled May meeting. And as we anticipated, they delivered on the 50 basis point increase to the Fed funds target um, range, which brings us now to a range of 75 basis points to 1%. We see the reverse repo rate having gone up to 80 basis points. IOER increased by 50 basis points to 90 basis points. These are all as expected. And what we're looking at for a liquidity yield curve, you know, right now in the, the live markets is something that goes on a one month to 12 month basis from about 42 basis points out to right around 2%, give or, give or take a few basis points or, uh, on any given movement from a tick standpoint. You also see what I think is maybe a little bit of, a, of, a over, of an overreaction in the bond markets with um, you know, improved positions across the board. Um, and I think the reason that that has occurred is, is a, a couplefold. Number, number one, Fed, Fed Chair Powell emphasized inflation. Um, he mentioned that growth remains strong. There are real signs that despite the negative print in GDP in the first quarter, tight labor markets, um, you know, unemployment rate 
of, of 3.6% strengthening conditions in other categories will continue to provide momentum to keep growth um, on a positive project trajectory for 2022. Uh, he also mentioned, you know, the labor supply being subdued, which is really, you know, kind of driven um, uh, inflation in that particular category. He also mentioned very specifically that we should expect an additional 50 basis points per meeting in the next couple of meetings. Couple to me means two. So we're talking about June and July. And he also very specifically mentioned no 75 basis point increase. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the heaven and earth would have to change positions to get 75 basis points after that, that particular um, uh conversation or after that comment. Um, in addition, you know, with, with uh, regard to positioning going forward and the path forward, he expected the FOMC to remain nimble. They will respond to incoming data, looking at, you know, financial conditions and making judgment. To me, although he didn't say it, this just means that the old phrase data dependency is back in vogue. We've been saying that for the better part, part of, um, you know, the month of, of uh April and now into May, and I think we'll continue to say that and look at that going forward. He expects job creation to slow. He expects that to be because of less supportive um, monetary and fiscal stimulus, but not to, to drive the U.S. It, into a recession at this point. Um, you know, it is a plausible path from his uh, current thinking that there be, and, and for various reasons, surplus of demand, great employment um, conditions, that that threading the needle or you know walking the tightrope and 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 engineering a softish landing is quite achievable. Chevy, what what were your thoughts along press conference lines and his um, responses to the questions from from the market? I thought it was an interesting read in that it was. I'd say more or less in line with our expectations, right? I mean, we had been thinking 50 basis points. And then, you know, I, I think when, when we discussed this earlier in the week, Debbie, we were both under the impression of kind of three 50 basis point hikes this year being the most likely outcome in, in this kind of belly of the year. Um, I, maybe a tad short of our expectations on the balance sheet runoff. You know, I think we were thinking something closer to that $95 billion per month kind of starting right away and kind of ramping up. And there's a little bit more of a ramp period here and some question if they'll get to the, the max on that 95 you know, billion per month, but more or less kind of in line with what we were expecting. I think, you know, I, my takeaways would be the following. I, you know, there's some risk here that inflation indicators, because of what's going on with continued pressure in Russia, Ukraine, because of what's going on with continued COVID zero policies in, in, in China and because of the lags in monetary policy may not show signs of material deceleration by the time we get through the, the, the June and July meetings. And, and, and the Fed may be pulled by data into extending that window. And I think that's one of the challenges that they've had that at no point in this cycle have they appeared to be out in front of inflation, that they've been appearing to always be getting pulled along. And I wonder if the reaction to today, you know, puts them in a position to be there again. Um, you know, I, I think when you think about the market expectations, 
coming into today, you know, while 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 the announcements were in line with our thinking, there were certainly whisper numbers of 75 basis points either at you know this meeting or more likely in July. I or, I'm sorry, not in July, in June. Um, I, I know you weren't surprised by this. Maybe maybe I'm used to the, the, the kind of Greenspan briefcase indicators. The idea that he more more or less ruled out 75 and more or less said we're doing 50 the next couple of meetings, you know, as a level of clarity that, you know, is is typical of Powell, frankly, but not necessarily typical of of some of his predecessors. Uh, I think he was trying to thread the needle there uh, in terms of, of, of getting the market off of the 75, but reminding them that this is still quite a hawkish move. Let's not forget, this is the most significant, this is the biggest rate hike in 22 years. And we are embarking on the most significant monetary policy talking likely since 1994. Uh, but yet somehow it was delivered in a way that the market took that as a dovish surprise today because we ruled out the 75 and maybe that balance sheet. So, you know, as I look at the market's initial response here, both on the fixed income and the equity side, right? The 3% move higher in the S&P, the leadership of the growth stocks on the equity side, on the fixed income side, you know, not only a rally in, in bonds, but 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 in particular, you know, some of the rally in the longer duration bonds. I, I'd be surprised if these moves are sustainable outside of a couple of days or a week. And I think we will find ourselves with incoming data very likely on the other side of this, where this is going to be an opportunity to shorten duration and reduce exposure to longer duration assets. The, the one key question now, I think coming out of this meeting is next week's CPI data, which is expected to decelerate uh, from the prior month, but I think will certainly be in focus as, as the market tries to, to gain some traction here. So in line with our thinking, historically very hawkish, uh, somehow the market got itself whipped up into enough hawkishness that 50 basis points and 95 billion a month was somehow a dumbish surprise. So 450 is not in play most likely, but you know, where are we expecting to end the year then? You know, are we two and a half, two and a quarter? Well, maybe I'll start with you, Debbie, and then over to Chevy. What's your thoughts there? Well, I think, you know, we, we, we've certainly seen fast-paced changes to where we end the year, um, you know, from a market expectation standpoint, Brian. If you just go back to, you know, the end of the third quarter of last year, um, we were expecting a terminal rate that was less than 50 basis points, less than 50 basis points. You know, we're, we're past that now. We're not even at mid-year. Um, if you then looked at the end of the year, we were looking at a terminal rate that was less than 1%. Again, we're, we're past that at this point. Um, you know, at the end of the first quarter of 2022, the terminal rate was expected to be just over two and a half percent. And right now we're looking at something that's right around three percent, maybe a little over, maybe a little under, depending upon the day, depending upon the you know market reaction to what the newest data is that's out. But I think um, you know, a couple things to remember, you know, these are all based on Fed funds futures. And first of all, Fed funds futures are not necessarily viable. They're not always reflective of where offered rates are. So you need to look at, you know, sort of market expectations to some degree by where offerings are in the marketplace or where bids and asks are in the marketplace. And Fed funds futures has not been a great indicator of that. Um, over the course of the last nine months or so, 
prime spreads have widened out only really because government spreads have tightened in as, you know, sort of flight to quality with the Russia-Ukraine conflict has caused that sort of a situation. So we've seen prime markets um, and prime offerings be a little bit more reflective of these changing expectations and something now that gets you to a terminal rate that's, you know, right around 3%. Um, and, and during that time period, it's been very, it's been great to be, you know, kind of short weighted average maturities, long weighted average lives, using floating rate securities as much as possible. And honestly, I don't think it's time to change that strategy yet. I don't think we've got to the point where we're a hundred percent sure of that, um, you know, sort of, uh, and, 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 and I'm going to call it, you know, sort of a terminal plateau. In either case, I don't think we reach a rate and then go back down the other side. I think we stay there for a while. And I don't know that, especially in the government sector, we're reflecting that accurately even yet. Yeah, what I, what I would add here is, you know, we've generally coalesced around an idea of 250 basis points of overall hikes in 2022, you know, give or take a bit. Interestingly enough, today, for all the things that have changed since the Fed meeting, you know, the number of implied rate hikes for 2022 has not, right? The market or the, the Fed futures market did obviously aggressively price out 75 basis points in, in the June meeting. But for the full 2022, it's still at about two and three quarters, which is about where it was yesterday uh, in terms of total number of hikes. So that implies, you know, 11 25 basis points moves over the course of this year and, and would imply four 50 basis point hikes, not the three that, that Kyle guided to today. I, I think that's still plausible. I, I'm still pretty comfortable, you know, with our idea of 250. But again, I think what we'll, what we'll talk about, you know, a little later on in our discussion here is, and Debbie alluded to this, it's about data dependency. So, right, Powell indicated that he thought, okay, maybe core inflation is peaking. Well, that's great, but the question is how quickly does it come down? Because if it peaks and stays at eight percent or six and a half percent, right, on the core reading, that, that that's not going to be good enough. And so I think we have to see how some of these supply shocks play out over the course of the next you know several months and whether or not when we get to September, we're seeing real signs of moderation in inflation, and then we have to adjust accordingly. But I, I thought it was interesting that despite the rally in rates in actual real, you know, uh, I'm sorry, the rally in bonds. Today, the Fed futures didn't really price out any rate hikes over the course of 2022. So that'll be an interesting dynamic to see, you know, who wins that tug of war. My bet's on the market at this point, um, adjusting. I would agree. I, I think I think it's more likely that, that the Fed futures comes down to R2.5, uh, unless data, you know, pushes R2.5 up, which has been yep. the general pattern over the course of the last six or nine months. So, you know, let's see what data is. Well, he has a chance to take a breather too in the summer, does he? Because he's got the June and July meetings. He's going to do 250s there. And he's got August to take a break. And then he can evaluate by right, going into the September meeting. And I thought he was very clear. You know, one of the things that was missed, I thought, in the discussion today, because, you know, some people have, have started, even though we're at the very beginnings of a, of a rate hike cycle, to ask the question about when the Fed might pause, which is kind of laughable right now. But, you know, he, he was, I, I thought he was also very clear in saying, look, when we stop doing 50s, I'm not pausing. I'm just going back to 25s. And, and he said that pretty explicitly at this point. So, you know, I, I don't think we're skipping any meetings here for a while. Yeah, right. So in, in terms of the, the rate hike cycles in general, Chevy, maybe I'll come to you on this one. You know, as it relates to 
this soft landing. There was a reference there to soft-ish landing. Uh, I, I noticed he commented about that. It reactions to his soft-ish landing. And then, Deb, I'd ask you to follow up on Chevy's thoughts. There have been 11 rate hike cycles since 1970, as defined as you know, at least three hikes without any cuts in between, right? Um, and you, you've had recession that have followed eight of those. Uh, you know, so for roughly roughly 70% of the time when you're engaging in monetary policy tightening, you've had recession. So the, the track record there is what it is. And, and there are there are elements to this cycle that are unique that, that I think Debbie talked about in an important way. We have a tighter labor market. You have all of these, these kind of job openings that Powell referenced multiple times, the kind of two-to-one job openings to folks looking for work, the strong consumer balance sheet, the strong business balance sheet. But, but the track record is, is that most of the time when the Fed engages in a hiking cycle, you've got a heightened risk of recession. And I think you have to start there. And I think that was, that was his comment. He can see a path towards a soft landing, but he also recognized that, that that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. It's going to be very difficult to engineer. And, you know, let's just say that the last 12 to 24 months, you know, will probably not be looked back on uh, in history as a perfect 24 months of monetary policy. So, you know, again, I, I think there, there's a challenging path there. Now, the good news, you know, I, I think for risk assets are, or at least as you go, you know, well out and into the equity spaces, you know, traditionally markets, equity markets are higher 12 months after the first hike. Um, you know, even on the bond side, again, I think we'll see what the terminal federal funds rate is, and we'll see what the peak in the 10-year is, and we'll see what the peak in the two-year is, you know, but it's most likely we've seen a lot of that move. It, I don't think it's all of the move that we're going to see in the two-year or the 10-year, but but it's probably, you know, some good chunk of it. Um, and, and I think that that's a little bit about what we saw today, right? I mean, it, it's hard to envision you know, the 10-year yield moving between now and the end of the year to the same extent and magnitude, you know, that it's moved from the beginning of the year until now. I, I think you're probably looking at more muted gains going forward. So, you know, the, the good news is, is we still think recession risk, even if the Fed, right, even if the Fed isn't able to, to engineer a softish landing. As we look at the indicators that are predictive of recession, you know, we still think that a recession is most likely, you know, at earliest, the early 23, more likely a kind of 24 event. When you look at the excess savings that consumers have amassed, you, you're probably even at negative real incomes, which we're facing right now, roughly three and a half percent negative real incomes. You're probably not exhausting that savings until the back half or the end of next year. Um, and so to Debbie's point, we think recession risk is quite low for 22. We think you are likely to see economic growth starting to slow in the back half of 22 and through 23, if the Fed's at all effective with their, their, their monetary tightening. Um, the journey, the, 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 the jury's really still out on whether or not they can do a soft landing or a hard landing. And we're spending a lot of time thinking about this. And, and what we appear to be coalescing around is soft landing versus hard landing has a lot less to do with how you start the rate hike cycle. It has a lot more to do with when you stop it and whether or not you immediately go into a kind of cutting cycle or, or whether or not you pause. So if you look 1984, 1987, 1994, which are the three kind of soft landing, you had a Fed that went right from rate hikes pretty quickly into rate cuts uh, in order to try to avoid that. And so point being, I think it's really early to tell 
hard landing, soft landing. Let's see how far they go. Let's see how far the data pushes them. And let's see how they respond over the course of the next 12 months. Debbie, do you want to add anything to that? Well, you know, I was asked the question um, on the FHI earnings call with the street analyst this past Friday about the comparison of this rate cycle to other historic rate cycles. And, you know, so so along those lines, and, and in particular, the focus was with regard to the liquidity asset class and, you know, asset gathering during that time period with increasing returns in that, in that asset class. And I, um, you know, I think they're, rate cycles prior to 1990 at this point to me, despite the fact that, you know, there are 11 overall since 1970, you know, that the, 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 there's some that are ancient history. Um, you know, the, 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 there was not a communicative um, uh, fed at, 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 at that point in time. And their, um, you know, their moves in the marketplace were not Directly, directly spoken, but rather done with 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 actions, adding and subtracting reserves. So much more, um, you know, sort of uh, luminescent as opposed to transparent. So I'm going to look at, you know, I'm going to look at comparing more to the most recent rate cycles, 2004. I think that was a very important rate cycle because they were fighting inflation, similar to what this Fed is doing today. And then the 2015, which I think is very important from comparison perspective, not because of, um, you know, the inflationary comparisons, but because they're starting at zero again. So in a, in a different type of a rate environment. And I think for both of these cycles, um, you know, there was excellent Fed communication. And therefore, you know, I think market anticipation was very good. And to a large degree, yield curves were active, trying to reflect, you know, day to day what those changes might be and anticipating where the Fed's moves during the cycle would be. Specifically from a liquidity asset class standpoint, you know, that kind of good communication and good anticipation by the market generally reflects good asset growth as, you know, sort of returns start to increase. Um, and, and in this particular case, um, the, the returns on money market funds look comparatively great compared to deposits, you know, especially as we look at bank deposits betas that have generally lagged the direct market, something like a 40% lag. And in that particular um you know, environment, you've got something that would be uh, 100 basis points in market rates only being reflected 40 basis points in deposit products, especially right now when the banks are telling us they don't even want deposits. I think you're going to see good asset gathering in the, the liquidity markets to a large degree because of the, um, you know, comparisons that that we've seen and the anticipation that we've seen in the, um, in the communication that's coming from this Fed. Yeah, I would just add one thing on to that, which is, you know, in the March FOMC meeting, the Fed all but acknowledged that deposit betas are likely to be quite low, uh, representing that, that kind of relative value opportunity for, for liquidity strategies. So I, I would echo that comment. So, hey, Chevy, sticking with you real quick. So internally, we have a investment committee, the short-term investment committee that assesses where we think, you know, we're going to land in terms of rate projections, 22, 23, 24, you know, do, do you want to give our audience a sense of where we're landing as a group, as a combined group within this committee? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, what, what you see is that the medium projection of the committee in our, our, our last meeting was the second week of March. We're, we're set to meet again next week, you know, coalesced right around that that 250 basis points, you know, that, that, that 250 that, that we were talking about for 2022, you know, with roughly another 50 basis points of hiking over the course of 23. And then very interestingly, uh, a pause. And, and when you look at the individual votes, uh, some folks that are calling for rate cuts in 2024, or, or at least rates that are kind of staying flat. And, and I think that's broadly c- consistent with our view, right? It suggests that you've got a Fed that is, you know, to borrow Fed Powell's term, trying to move expeditiously towards neutral. Uh, I, I believe he endorsed a range of neutral estimates as being somewhere between 250 and three. I'm sorry, between two and three percent today amongst the committee members. I want to say the official projection in March was 2.4. So we're basically saying that the Fed will use 2022 to expeditiously move to neutral, that in order to get inflation down, you're going to have to move above neutral at some level, and and they'll be hiking further into 23, but that you will hit some point where either they will then pause and stop as they are gliding the economy into a soft landing, uh, which I think is consistent with what we're showing here, a kind of move into 23 and then some pause, or, or they will have hiked too far and have to reduce rates in that kind of 24 period as you know, 300 basis points of accumulated rate hikes you know, push growth in a negative territory, you know, potentially. Um, and I think you see really a, our, our, our internal view of soft versus hard landing is still very much in debate, right? You can see there's roughly an equal number of votes in 24 that have rates either moving slightly higher or staying flat versus those that maybe see them coming down a little bit. And, and I think that that's all pretty, that's all pretty consistent. And, and frankly, you know, it's a view that I, I endorse. So we're a little bit more aggressive than the Fed for both 22, 23, and 24 in terms of the last set of dot plots, but I think it's an intellectually consistent path within, you know, what's frankly, you know, not that wide of a range, right? Everyone is between kind of two and, you know, 275 or so for this year with a real kind of big group of folks right at that 250 level. Debbie, do you want to add anything or additional color? There? The only thing I'd, I'd add, Chevy, is that, um, you know, in this short-term investments committee, um, we, we don't operate as silos within FHI. You know, we have, um, you know, folks from the liquidity section, the the, the, the fixed income group, um, you know, Chevy's the representative from, from the equity group. And it's not in this committee only. We have macro committees, we have product committees, we have research committees, where again, all three of the major asset classes come together to try to, um, you know, produce good res- results to reflect, you know, the, the the manager for all seasons logo or moniker that that FHI has has you know continued to, um, uh, to put forth as as you know the the the, the best uh, type of manager in the marketplace and you know we emphasize the markets at any given point in time that make them out the most amount of sense. And in this case, from this committee standpoint, we're emphasizing liquidity markets with some spread that ultimately make the, the, the most amount of sense in the current environment. Another aspect of today's conversation with, with Chair Powell was about quantitative tightening and the path that they're going to take. Uh, and he talked about kind of a gradual ease in 
uh, as compared to just starting immediately with the 95 billion? Do you, do you want to go through quickly what was discussed and your reaction to it? Sure. Uh, and I will note that quantitative tightening is phase three in our original kind of three three phase plan where QE is completed. That was phase one. Um, liftoff and interest rate changes was phase two. We're, you know, begin, you know we're, we're continuing along that path. Phase three is simultaneous with phase two, just starting a little bit later. We're learning all about that in this particular meeting. Um, they told us, you know, a couple months ago that we would be doing uh, $95 billion in, in and, um, you know, uh, securities reductions um, on a monthly basis for the initiation of quantitative tightening, but that we would get more details at this meeting. And that's exactly what he did, what he gave us. The details are basically that we'll start with only half of that and we'll start that in June. So, you know, not the 60 billion in treasuries, but only 30 billion and not 35 billion for mortgages, but only half of that 17 and a half billion. And that over the course of three months, we will ramp up to, you know, the, 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 the 60 and 35 or the 95 billion um, per month. I think, you know, sort of the bottom Bottom line from my standpoint is that that's their current thinking with regard to um, QT plans. And, you know, that seems to be the market seems to take that as something that would be the equivalent of about a 25 basis point increase in rates. But I, I would also be cautionary in that when they announced the QE plans back in the second half of 2021, um, you know, they, they announced them in September, began them in November, sped them up in December, and they were over in March. So, you know, they, they, they sped up that process quite quickly. So I think if the bond market is willing and allows the Fed to adjust um, that QT uh, process, you know, upward, I don't think they would be, you know, loath in considering that because this ultimately, I think, balance sheet reduction is a goal. This was the point I was alluding to a little bit earlier in that I, I think this is a Fed that is in many ways cautious, right? That they want to do what they need to do to get inflation under control, but not get ahead of themselves um, in many ways. I mean, I think that was that was what I was hearing from Pally. We're, we're going to do QT, but we're going to ramp it up. In each case, I'm going to I'm going to commit to 250 basis point extra three, but but I'm expecting to go back to 25. I'm expecting that inflation will peak and, and come back down. And he needs to do that, right? He needs to provide the market with some comfort and expectations that inflation is going to come down. Otherwise, if inflation expectations get, um, if he loses control over those, and the market continues to expect inflation that accelerates, then then, then he's lost the game. So I get that, but one of the consequences of that is he can get pulled forward by the incoming data, just like like Debbie was saying. You know, QE was going to be one thing, and then the data forced it to be something a little bit more accelerated. And I do wonder if 350 basis point hikes eventually bleed and become four. I do wonder if QT of you know a three month roll, you know ramp up and 95 ends up becoming something more than that or faster than that. You know, as as data dictates, and and that risks the Fed continuing to appear, you know, to be pulled along by the data. So, it, it, as much uncertainty as we've had, I, I, I think we still have some, not quite as much because we know the plans, but I think there's still some. Right, right. So, Sherry, let me speak with you. You know, the the theme here throughout has been inflation, inflation, inflation. So, uh, do you want to? Give some of your perspectives on you know where we are with inflation. Is it higher for longer? Are we peaking? 
you know, reactions to the Fed, to Chair Powell's comments about, you know, we may, may be close to the peak. Uh, curious your thoughts there. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I went back and, and looked at some of the primary news sources from, from the 70s and, and early 80s. And, and what you find is that almost during the entire time, they thought it was transitory, which is just so interesting. And, and we're using terms that were as such. Um, when I think about the drivers of inflation right now, you know, I, I break them into really three buckets uh, as, as detailed in our inflation dashboard. But one is obviously you have this broad commodity pressure that's coming from the turning off and turning back on of the economy, and then certainly exacerbated by what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. But it was very interesting that the Fed included Russia, Ukraine in the language again, this statement. I think it speaks to the idea that there really is no clarity that anything is going to get better in Russia, Ukraine over any short term time frame. Right. If, if anything, the rumors are that you could see an escalation of tensions, you know, with the May 9th anniversary of the defeat of the Nazis and, and, and Putin potentially calling for the kind of uh, kind of acceleration of hostilities there. So, you know, those pressures on things like energy, things like palladium, things like corn, things like wheat. Um, nickel, I mean, I can keep going, are, are likely to still be in place for some time. Um, and with reports that you could see a full-on embargo of Russian oil and gas products coming out of Europe, you know, may even accelerate some. We'll have to see. But again, not a lot of relief there. China continues to pursue COVID zero policies and lockdowns. And again, I thought it was very interesting. And it was almost an acknowledgement that, okay, the things that we thought were going to be transitory we now think are going to last long enough that we're putting them in the statement. Um, and so, okay, we've got a shutdown in Shanghai, the beginnings of a shutdown in Beijing, but absent widespread vaccination or a change in official policy to live with COVID rather than pursuing COVID zero, we don't know if the end of these lockdowns will be the end of lockdowns in China, right? We could be back there in the fall potentially, unless there's a change of mindset. So those pressures on supply chains have not abated and, and are likely to be in place at least for some time. And then wage inflation, you know, wage inflation and Powell was very careful today to say, we want high wage inflation, but high to us is 2%. It's not five and a half or 6%. Um, because it, it is hard to have 2% price inflation when wages are moving up five and a half, six percent right? That those two things are generally inconsistent. And, you know, there's the labor shortage. I think we are likely to see some folks come back in a labor force. Um, however, you know, our research suggests that two thirds of the folks that left retired. So absent, you know, I, I, I at least know for me, I don't ever expect to retire, Brian. But if I ever do, it's going to take personal financial calamity to pull me back in. Right. Um, uh, or my wife who kicks me off the couch, one of the two. But point being is, I think once someone's made the decision to retire, it's actually harder to pull them you know, off the sidelines and back in the labor market, unless you have real kind of economic dislocation. So right now, Russia and Ukraine are not necessarily getting better. China's not getting better. Wages, I think it's unlikely that we get a flood of new workers coming back in. Monetary policy can certainly impact the demand for labor. But, you know, we've only had 25 basis points prior to today and monetary policy acts with a lag. So I think best case scenario, we start to see that, that kind of reprieve in the second half of the year. We're probably not going to know that inflation is coming down, even if it is, 
until we get into really that that kind of third, fourth quarter of the year. Uh, but right now, as the data comes in, there have been no signs of deceleration across any of the 11 indicators that we look at. And so what I'm most focused on here are average hourly earnings and seeing that start to moderate. Sticky CPI, right? These are the, the non-transitory pieces that right now are running you know, four and three quarters of a percent. That needs to come down. And don't sleep on services. For all the talk about supply chains and good prices, which are you know, quite high, service inflation is 4.7%. And you know, my barber doesn't come in on a supply chain. So th that, that talks about kind of a more generalized inflation in the system. So this is going to be the key. If it comes down the way the Fed expects it to, if it moderates in the second half, I can completely see a scenario where we downshift rate hikes from 50 basis points to 25 in September. If it doesn't, um, then I think you're probably going to be adding another 50 basis point around there, you know, at least one more in September. And I think that that's now the new battle over 75. It's no longer 50 versus 75. I think the market will now spend all of its time assessing on how many 50 basis pointers do we get. So, hey, Deb, maybe I could bring it to you for a second, if I could. Um, you know, as you digest all of this, there's also the impact on earnings, you know, the impact on how banks are doing through this, lending credit, potential for, for a recession, how consumers are going to respond, how businesses are prepared. Uh, do you want to take us through your assessment of the credit side of the equation, or at least as it relates to the bank side? And, and frankly, if, if you want to take it a little beyond banks, feel free. Sure, Brian. I mean, we continue from an analyst standpoint to opine on corporate health at this point in the cycle and how it will impact the Fed's ability to, you know, sort of navigate that soft landing um, in this current cycle. We think that's um, pre pretty high at this point. Um, you know, even in the, the current second quarter after um, seeing the negative GDP, GDP print in the first quarter of 2022, we're still seeing earnings increases overall and certainly more widespread than just in a, in a few sectors. And there have been issues from a banking standpoint. You know, many banks over the course of being cash rich in the last two years have invested the, that cash in securities because there hasn't you know, the loan demand has not um, been as high. And we saw the securities markets, certainly treasuries in particular, um, declining in value over the quarter. So that, you know, caused a little bit of a hiccup in bank earnings um, to some degree, in addition to especially some of the larger global banks um, getting out of Russia and Ukraine. I saw that uh, you were interviewed this morning on Bloomberg television, and there was a discussion not only around credit, but also around liquidity, liquidity in the system. Uh, you know, there was clearly, you know, through Fed stimulus, trillions, without exaggeration, in, in the system. But Kind of brings you back to the point that you and Chevy were talking about a moment ago is banks' appetite for deposits and, and this whole deposit beta. Are they really going to pay? They need to pay. Uh, I realize it's circuitous, but it, it kind of brings us to the back to the point that the banks don't want or need the deposits. Uh, you still feel that there's ample liquidity and enough liquidity out there that there's no concerns on credit. It's simply going to be a play on the revenue impact, because that's what the deposit beta basically means, that the banks are going to make more money because they're not paying out the rate to, to the depositors. 
And that's absolutely our expectations going forward. Um, you know, at least in the near term, Brian, uh, we're not seeing you know, banks paying up for even, even, you know, sort of the second tier banks paying up for any type of liquidity. It's there, it's available, um, but they frankly don't really need it or want it. Um, having said that, because the rates in the treasury market, you know, sort of the risk-free market have been, um, you know, kept lower because of the demand for those treasuries in you know, kind of a, a changing and tumultuous market situation, um, you know, flight to quality types of, of, of declines in yields in those treasury markets, the spreads on some, you know, of the, the credit securities or the prime securities out there are wider than normal, but it's not because of credit concerns. It's because the other side of the equation, the comparatives that we use to determine that spread have actually declined as opposed to the spreads going out. So we think that's a gift right now and are love, you know, loving the aspect of positive spreads with a huge amount of liquidity in the marketplace from a, 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 you know, a large host of players. Yeah. So, so Steve, let me throw it over to you in terms of trying to tie all this up into a bow in terms of how to make the best of all this. How, how do you invest in these markets? Do you want to take our audience through some of our best thinking in terms of how we would navigate these markets and uh, kind of taking us along the liquidity continuum? This is something we're increasingly committed to. You know, I, I, we've long shared our, our views and our macro views through this setting and others. But in, in terms of, you know, what we're trying to do going forward and, and, and my multi-asset solutions team and the role that we're playing here is you know, to translate that into calls to actions, views on, on asset classes and how we would position and share that um, you know, to hopefully help you know, our clients understand how, how to think about markets, right? Um, and so you know, what some of the considerations that they may wanna have is as they allocate across you know, the, the liquidity continuum by sharing you know, our, our current thinking. So you know, as we look out, three kind of key themes. And again, I think today's market action may represent an attractive entry point into getting more in tune with the themes that I'm that I'm talking about, right? One of those is you want shorter duration wherever you can find it because we still think the path for rates is likely higher. There will come some rate hike that will either be the one that you know precedes the pause into a slow descent into a, a softish landing or the one too many that gets us worried about recession, and that will be the time for duration risk. But that's not today. We think right now. You still want to have less duration risk wherever available. Two, to Debbie's point, we think we still think credit is strong, particularly on the short end of the curve, um, and it will take some time for rate hikes to to lead to a deterioration in credit quality, and we're just not there yet. And three, we think floating rate securities, where you can find them at an attractive price, are 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 well positioned. And so when you think about the continuum. Of, of, of investment asset classes or sub-asset classes in the zero to three-year part of the curve. You know, we think liquidity, we think liquidity strategies or liquidity securities, you know, in that very short end part of the curve are best positioned. To Debbie's point, we think that the spread that you find in prime securities relative to their government counterparts really make them the best of the bunch, right? It's, it's where you have the, the, the least possible duration risk 
uh, but are getting a spread because of, of, of the credit exposure there. And we think that that's, that's quite attractive and positioned well against what's likely to be at least two more 50 basis point rate hikes. As you get out into that kind of managed reserve space, thinking that kind of six to, to 12 months out on the curve, you know, we think that's certainly a much better place to be than, than something that's out six years on the curve, right? Or, or five or six years on the curve, given the shorter duration profile. It's attractive, maybe not quite as, as, as attractive as the liquidity strategies from a duration perspective, but there's more yield to pick up. Um, and so in that space, we think, again, the shorter you can be in that six to 12 month part of the curve, the better, the better. Um, and we would not shy away from credit exposure there as well. Uh, we would, in fact, welcome it. Uh, we think that, that the government part of that curve is, is, is the least attractive, given that it still has some duration risk and doesn't come with as, as much of a yield opportunity. And then going a little bit further out into the kind of short duration space, you know, now I'm out kind of in that two to three year part of the curve adjustable rate securities, we think make a lot of sense given the resets that are available there and, and given, you know, their leverage to higher rates in a positive way. Again, as you, as you, as you think about more fixed rate parts uh, of that curve, we prefer having the credit exposure as, as to not. Now there may very well come a period over the next, you know, let's call it 12 months where we want to lengthen duration and reduce credit exposure and prefer fixed rate securities. But we think at this point, we're still quite a ways away from there. Very good. Very well said. And well, if nothing else, I think in these markets, you know, the, what resonates with me is active professional management, even on the very front end of the curve, is very important. Uh, and with your insights, both Debbie and Chevy, it gives great guidance to uh, our clients. And we appreciate that very much. Thank you very much again for your time. And we look forward to revisiting with you next quarter. Take care, all. Views are as of 5-4-22 and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. While bank deposits are FDIC insured, an investment in money market funds or other investments is neither insured nor guaranteed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or any other government agency. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Bond prices are sensitive to changes in interest rates and a rise in interest rates can cause a decline in their prices. Variable and floating rate loans and securities generally are less sensitive to interest rate changes but may decline in value if their interest rates do not rise as much or as quickly as interest rates in general. Conversely, variable and floating rate loans and securities generally will not increase in value as much as fixed rate debt instruments if interest rates decline. The S&P 500 index is an unmanaged capitalization weighted index of 500 stocks designated to measure performance of the broad domestic economy through changes in the aggregate market value of 500 stocks representing all major industries. Indexes are unmanaged and investments cannot be made in an index. The yield curve is a graph showing the comparative yields of securities in a particular class according to maturity. Securities on the long end of the yield curve have longer maturities. Deposit betas represent the percentage of changes in market rates that banks have to pass on to their customers. Duration is a measure of a security's price sensitivity to changes in interest rates. Securities with longer durations are more sensitive to changes in interest rates than securities of short duration. 
The Consumer Price Index, CPI, is a measure of inflation at the retail level. Quantitative tightening, QT, refers to policies that reduce the size of the Fed's balance sheet. Federated Investment Management Company, 22-30141, 522.